Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you all. We had a wonderful trip to Memphis for my brother-in-law's wedding. Got to see the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, and uh, it was a really cool week, but I am so thankful to be back with this church, with you people. I love so much, and I'm so thankful that we get to open up the Word of God together this morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You might start at the back of the Bible and flip your way to the left. You'll find a bunch of letters that start with T grouped together. 1 Thessalonians is in there. Last week, we had a really soul-stirring message. I encourage you guys, if you're not here uh, one Sunday, to go back and listen to the messages. God was speaking to you regardless of whether or not you were here. I got to do that and go back and listen to the message that Eric preached last week, and it was very soul-stirring as we looked to the coming of Christ and talked about, as believers, longing for the coming of Christ and abiding in Him so that we don't shrink away in shame at his coming. And there was comfort from the balm of the scriptures concerning those who have died in Christ. The, the Bible calls death for those in Christ sleeping, being absent from the body, but present with the Lord. And you also saw last week that in every single chapter of First Thessalonians, Paul has been referring to the coming of the Lord in some way. And that is the substance of our text this morning. So let me pray for us before we read, and then we will dive into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Father, even this text shows that unless you give the light, the revelation, we will have no light. We will be able to read Scripture without seeing and understanding. And so we pray, Spirit of God, that you would come and that you would illuminate your word to us and that you would magnify Christ Lord, would you wake us up to spiritual realities all around, to the reality of the day of the Lord, that we would live our life in the light of your face. Lord, would you speak to every heart in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. For you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I've titled this message, Living 
with Christ before the day of the Lord. Living with Christ before the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord has to be where we begin our study. Paul says to them, you have no need of anyone to write to you concerning the day of the Lord because he had taught them much about it in his short time with them. At the establishment of the church, when he gives them the good news of the gospel, he also tells them of the coming day of the Lord. But we have probably more need than they did of someone to write to us about the day of the Lord. So we are going to begin our time looking at what does this mean? And as we begin this study of the day of the Lord, uh, I want to point out that from this passage and from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is clear that the coming of Christ and the gathering of saints together with him or to him and the coming day of the Lord happen together. They happen at the same time. Paul has just finished describing the first resurrection at the end of chapter 4 where the saints are gathered together with Christ. And without changing the subject, he says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons for You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes to them, same audience, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So, concerning the coming of Christ and our gathering together with him, don't be alarmed if people say that that's happened because the day of the Lord hasn't happened yet. So, they happen at the same time. And you can write down 2 Thessalonians 2 for further study. Paul is clear that there are things that have to happen first. There's a man of lawlessness that arises and places himself in the place of God and exalts himself against God. And Jesus will destroy him with ease at his coming. So from this passage, now back to 1 Thessalonians 5. From this passage, what do we learn about the day of the Lord? Well, first, the unbelieving world will not see it coming. That is what is meant by like a thief in the night. It is unexpected. The world is blind in their sin. That's what it means by saying that they are in darkness, saying, you are not in darkness for the day to surprise you like a thief. So thief represents the surprise that the world will experience when God returns in judgment upon them. They will be saying and believing there is peace and security. I am safe. There is no God. I don't believe in God. There's no fear of God. They refuse to heed warnings about his coming. They will believe that there is nothing to fear. And the day of the Lord will spring upon them like a trap, is what the Lord Jesus says, resulting in their all of a sudden inescapable destruction. That's the second analogy Paul gives from this text. One, it will come like a thief, but it will also come like pangs upon a woman in labor. And that points to the inescapability of the day of the Lord upon the wicked who do not know God. Just like labor pains come upon a woman and there is no escaping childbirth from that point, that they will have this day spring upon them and there will be no escaping. 
This is going to be sobering and even anguishing to meditate on over the next bit. But if we water down the coming judgment of God, one, we will just gut the scriptures of much of its content in favor of hearing something that is pleasing to the ear. God's word is clear that in the last days, people will accumulate for themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And anything that we don't want to hear is relegated to hate speech. But if we water down the coming judgment of God, we will dilute the righteousness of God. We will not see the seriousness of sin. We won't see the urgency of the hour, and we will not see the magnitude of what Christ has done for us. So we'll have little sin, little judgment, little gospel, little Savior. Romans chapter 2, Paul writes in verse 6, God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. God's word is clear that the wages of sin is death. And sin has so distorted our view, a a distorted view of ourselves and our self-righteousness and our own wisdom that we cannot fathom or begin to agree with righteous indignation on wickedness in the world. We, We side with sinful humanity when we hear about the righteous judgments of God, we feel like this seems a little bit harsh, or God, you need to give them more time, or God, that sounds like it's all so violent against wickedness. Surely God will be more merciful than that. Surely God will give us more patience. And we, we look at how God's presence, patience, and present mercy is working itself out in the world, and we feel like this is who God is, this patience, this mercy, this... and how he's currently treating sin in the world, his long-suffering, this is his final judgment against sin. And anybody who wants to sound the alarm or talk about something more serious, it's, oh, they're preaching fire and brimstone. In your glorification, believer, you will be able to rejoice in God's righteous judgments. When he comes and makes you completely like Christ, you will rejoice at God's wrath being poured out on the wickedness of men because the judgment of sinners will be the salvation of the righteous. In Isaiah 60, verse 12, the prophet writes, the nation and kingdom that will not serve God shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. For any who disbelieve God, for those who with their lives call him a liar, who exchange the truth about God for a lie, who have all of God's revelation in the world that shouts to them about his uh, righteous attributes and his power, and they suppress the truth that is clearly seen in what he's made for an error and for a self-exaltation, for those who reject the gift of his son and who choose themselves over him to the end without repentance, there will be wrath and fury And Romans 2 said, each according to what he has done. God will not inflict unjust wrath on anyone. 
God will not give to anyone more than they deserve for their unrighteousness. God's wrath and judgment on the world is only payment for what they have asked for with the content of their lives by their self-seeking and by their denial of him and his means of salvation. Jesus Christ himself will execute judgment on the world for their pride and their unrighteousness and their rejection of him. As Paul's preaching to the unbelieving Athenians in Greece, he says in Acts 17, 31, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This day that he has fixed, that he has given proof of, and he has invited you to hear this message as a warning today. If you are here, then he is giving you a gift today. Because he has fixed a day, and you do not know when that day is, in which Jesus Christ will judge the world in righteousness. And God has given proof of that fact by raising the righteous judge from the dead. The humanity tried to kill the judge, and he could not be held in death's power. And now the judge is returning to render payment according to what everyone has done. That is what the day of the Lord is. It is the king of all returning to judge the world in righteousness. It is as Enoch prophesied just seven generations from Adam. We're talking almost 6,000 years ago. Enoch said he is coming to execute judgment on all and to convict the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. If we go to Isaiah, there, beloved, be a people of this book. Get in it, read it, know it. I could not, if I sat there and cross-referenced day of the Lord and everything that the Bible has to say about this, we would be here for days and days and days. So we're just going to Isaiah to a couple of passages and they are going to be hard to hear. But ignorance is not bliss. It's not, it's not okay. It's not okay to see uh, babies being slaughtered in their mother's womb and for you to just see pixelated images so that you can hide it and so that it's not there and it's not real instead of seeing the horrid reality of what actually is happening. And in the same way, it is not blissful for you. It's not better for you to say, oh, speak, preach better things to us. Preach happier things to us. When this is the reality, the truth that is coming on the world. If we go to Isaiah to help us grasp the weight of this day that is coming. In Isaiah chapter 2, you can turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. The prophet writes, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Verse 17, And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away, and people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from before the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. 
The, the picture is men are fleeing and running and hiding from the glory of the Lord that to believers is a sight to be marveled at and to be rejoiced in because the glory of Christ is bringing you up and transforming you from glory to glory. But for those who reject Christ, it will be terror. And they will run into the caves and will beg the rocks to fall on them. And what Paul's writing to the Thessalonians is it will come upon them like a thief and they will not escape from the terror of his majesty when the Lord comes to humble the pride of men. He alone will be exalted in that day. That is what the day of the Lord is for and is all about. Jesus Christ will be exalted. His character will be plainly seen. He will be exalted as the one alone who is good and truly righteous. And his law will be upheld. All who mocked him, laughed at him, denied him, disobeyed him will be laid low. Flip over to Isaiah 13. Verse 6. Wail, wail for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them and they will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light and the sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts of his fierce anger. This is the day that is coming on the world, beloved on all who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so far in Isaiah, he's been pointing ahead, Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 13, looking ahead to this day that is coming. But in Isaiah 63, you see the aftermath of this day. It, it correlates to Revelation 19, where the one who is named the word of God and who's on whose robe and thigh are written King of Kings and Lord of Lords treads the winepress of his wrath. Isaiah 63, verse 1 and 6. The prophet writes, Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Bozrah? Those are names of nations outside of Israel, those who are the enemies of God's people. Who is this who comes from that region? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty, to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads the winepress? Answer, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. 
I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. It's terrible. It is awful. It is almost more than you can bear to hear if you truly hear it. Faces set aflame, people being trampled continuously by the Son of Man who comes in His glory to render vengeance on His enemies, on those who rejected His authority. He says, I'm alone in this. There is no one righteous, no one who can help him in his righteousness, execute his judgments. Christ alone is exalted as righteous and holy. He is unrivaled in his righteous character. He is unrivaled in his authority. And his reign is inevitable. He is returning and he will deliver the earth at last from the stain of sin and from sinful humanity who exalted themselves above him. This, all that we just now read, this is what sin deserves. He is righteous in his execution of these judgments. Paul's next letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. This is the final response of the one God who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and who will by no means clear the guilty. He is gracious and he is merciful and he is slow to anger. He has not done this yet and he will by no means clear the guilty. And who are the guilty? We know from Romans 3, all have sinned. There is none who does good, not even one. And so if we were to ask ourselves, who deserves this kind of wrath, this kind of harsh judgments of God? The answer is, I do. And you do. Well, then who can escape? Well, those who dwell in darkness, who are of the night, who are sleeping, who are bound up with their own lives and their pleasures, they will not escape. The day will come upon them suddenly, like a trap. It will come upon them like pangs of childbirth on a woman, and they will not escape. But I want to point your attention to verse 9. Because if you are in the sound of my voice this morning, this is both an invitation to you if you are not in Christ and a consolation to you if you are in Christ. So the, the glorious truth, the second sort of section of this message is that Jesus bore the day of the Lord's wrath for all who believe on him. When we talk about the wrath of God being poured out on the Lord Jesus, we are talking about the wrath that we just now read. God's just judgment against the sins of humanity. 
Verse 9 says, Our God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. He bore the day of the Lord's wrath for you, so that if you believe in him, you would not perish, but have eternal life. I told you that last week we went to the Ark Encounter. It is a life-size replica of Noah's Ark. Jesus said the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah, where people were partying and marrying and being given in marriage, and the flood came suddenly and swept them all away. If you go back and you read Genesis chapter 6, it says the earth got so wicked so evil that God regretted that he had made mankind on the earth. And so his judgments came. And only those who entered into the ark that God had appointed as his means of salvation were rescued from the wrath to come. Christ is the ark of our salvation. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, God set his love on you so that you would come into Christ Jesus by faith and escape the fires of his judgment. Romans 5, verse 6 to 11. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, deserving of all that we just now read, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were in, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. This is the purpose for which Christ died for you. It says he died for you so that you might live with him so that you could have peace with God and the life of God could be restored to you and God himself could dwell in you, with you, forgiven and free. This is what it means that Christ is our propitiation, that we go from being enemies of God, dead in our sin, deserving of the wrath of God and deserving of the day of the Lord, and Christ absorbs the day of the Lord and the wrath of God for us in our place, and we get but with all the same weight and fury of his wrath, we get the blessing that only Christ deserves for his righteousness. And so Jesus calls to you, strive to enter by the narrow door. The way is narrow that leads to life, and few are they who find it. And he says in that day, from Luke 13, there will be people just as surely as there were when the floodwaters came and people were pounding on the door of the ark, begging to be let in, and God had shut the door. There is coming a day when the door of Christ Jesus will be shut. Those who have entered by faith will be shut in. No one can, Jesus loses no one out of his hand. Praise his name. And there will be people pleading to enter, pleading for another chance to enter into the ark of Christ, and it will be too late. So strive to enter by the narrow door. Accept his gift of salvation and forgiveness so that it can be said of you, along with the rest of God's people, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ.
So then how should we live? How do we live in, sight of, in light of all of this? Well, Paul writes to them. This is where he focuses this passage. He says, look, you are not of the dark or of the night that the day should overtake you like a thief. It should not come like a surprise to believers. It comes like a surprise to the unbelieving world who is dead in their unrighteousness and blinded to the truth of God's word. But he writes to the Thessalonians, you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. Light being the revelation of God and being given open eyes to see things as they are and children of the day, referring to the righteousness of God, right? He has made you to live in his righteousness with him, not in the children of night who get drunk at night, who, who live carried away by their lusts and by the cares of this world. He made you to live like a child of the day and he's given you his light so that you could see clearly. So Paul writes in verse 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. So how should we live? This should serve as a wake-up call to everyone. If you have yet to place your trust in Christ, if you hear his voice, do not wait for another day. But today is the day of salvation. Turn to him and he will abundantly pardon. But if you are a believer, this is a wake-up call. Do not let the enemy lull you to sleep. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 21, verse 34 and 35, Watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. We live in sleepy days. There is a a, a stupor that lies over the land. The unbelieving world lies in darkness. They have no light, no revelation of the truth of God. There's no seeing into the true and spiritual nature of things. They dwell in deep darkness. And those who are spiritually dead spout lies and breathe out threats to everyone who doesn't agree with the secular spell, read godless spell that they put over society. There is godlessness being evangelized into the world right now. And much of the church is asleep, weighed down with trivialities, Jesus said, weighed down with the cares of this life, weighed down with sin and naivety concerning the enemy and his servant's agenda that is antichrist at every turn. Peter writes in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, because the end of all things is at hand, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. This is the same thing that the Lord Jesus told us. Watch yourselves. Lest the cares of this world and 
pursuing your own pleasures should weigh you down and you be asleep. Peter said, be self-controlled and sober-minded or watchful. He says, for the sake of your prayers. This should remind you, in the hour before the cross, Jesus is commissioning his disciples to pray with him that they may not enter into temptation. And it says that they want to pray, they want to be watchful with him in that hour. Their spirit was willing, but their flesh was weak. And so over and over again, he comes to them. Can you not stay awake for one hour? Why was he calling them to be awake? To a prayerfulness. Pray with me. The Son of God, in the hour before, the most defining hour in the history of the universe, where he goes to the cross to bring about salvation for his people, he is praying. And Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful, be awake for the sake of your prayers. Jesus in Luke 21 that we just read says, stay awake at all times. Why? Praying that you may have the strength to escape. So the question for us is, are we awake? Or another way of phrasing that is, what does our prayer life, what is the way that we pray? Individually and together, what does it say about the state that we're in? Are you sleeping? This was being preached to my own heart. I'm studying this week, and it's like a cold glass of water coming into your face. Wake up. It's so carried away by trivialities, by the cares of this world, by little things, that by a large token the church is slumbering. Jesus has called us to be a house of prayer for all the nations, to be living in light of his return, eagerly expecting his coming, to be ambassadors for Christ, calling people to repentance, calling people into the ark of Christ. And instead, we're just consumed with ourselves, completely prayerless, indulging ourselves. The call to the people of God remains the same as it always says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, it was Vanity Fair, right? You're walking through, and there's distractions at every turn. You live in Disneyland. And John writes, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the system of this world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away with all of its lusts, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. If you are in Christ, he has awakened you into life so that you would live watchful and awake so that you would live your life with him. And so we must say with Paul, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? How can we who have been awakened into the light and who are of the day live like we have no light and live in darkness? Jonathan Edwards, in one of his 70 resolutions, had a resolve that I think phrases things so practically for us. Number 19, he says, Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trump. 
What a resolve. Just to sift through your life and say, do I want to be found doing this when Jesus returns? Now, you have to live your life, right? He's, we've talked about this. He is glorified and honored in you living a quiet life where you are working hard. It doesn't mean go and live in a convent and just pray and put your head down. It means obey him. Do what he said to do. Love your wife. Love your husband. Raise children that are God-fearing. Bear witness to his truth out in the world. Work hard with your hands. Share the truth of the gospel. Go out into all the world and make disciples. Let the master find you laboring faithfully when he comes. You can go and read Matthew 24 where he talks about, you can write it down for later, Matthew 24, verse 36 through 51. He's talking about how in the days of his coming it will be uh, like in the days of Noah. And it says, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. But it shouldn't surprise you like a thief. So the, the, the key is living ready for his return by faithfulness to the master and an eager expectation for his arrival at all times. That is how we live faithfully in light of his return. Second, we live with him and we look to him. Verse 10 says, the reason why he died for you is so that whether you're absent from the body or you're present here, you could live with him. That's why he died for you. He did not die just so that you could get out of hell and get into heaven. He died so that you might be with him, so that you might treasure Christ. The whole reason why you and I deserved hell was our lack of treasuring Christ and an exalting of ourselves. He came to rescue you from that kind of self-treasuring and self-exaltation so that you might delight yourself in him and exalt him with your life. Living soberly looks like, according to Paul, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. So you have love of God and love of others and of faith in Christ and his gospel guarding the core of who you are. And you have guarding your mind the hope of his salvation. Why? Because he hasn't destined you for wrath, but for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what hope looks like in any and every circumstance Peter writes that we've set our hope fully on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ has to weigh heavily in our thinking to guard us from the temptations of the enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour people. All the more as you see the day drawing near. That day needs to weigh more than your present realities. This is what Scripture says again and again. I, I suspect that the suffering of this present life isn't worth comparing to the glory to be revealed to us. And so we have the coming day of Christ weighing heavily on our present reality so that it actually shapes and changes the way that we live. The trials aren't as large when we compare them to the glory to be revealed to us. 
The things that we thought were important all of a sudden are exposed to be trivial and light compared to the eternal realities. Our cowardice among our neighbors all of a sudden turns to boldness because we see we do not want them to experience the day of the Lord without coming into the ark of Christ. So I want to read this passage from 2 Peter to ready us for our response. 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter writes, Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? And it talks about how they mock. And they overlook the fact that the Lord with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. He says, The heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. The ungodly being everyone except for Jesus and those who are found in him. It is like the plague where the angel of death came over Egypt, and when he saw the blood, he would pass over the people inside the house for judgment. Verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. What Peter is saying right here is that the day of the Lord has not happened yet because God is slow to anger and is patient toward you. And he is writing not just to unbelievers, but to believers. Count this patience of our Lord, believer, as salvation. That you do not have to stand before the Lord and give an account right now instead of after responding to this message and living lives of holiness and godliness and standing before him at a different day. Count the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for further sanctification for you. It is a gift. He has as a gift for you today the gift of repentance, the gift of coming into the ark of Christ Jesus, the gift of growing in godliness, and the gift of being diligent to be found by him without blemish or spot and at peace with him. So this is a question for us. How is your life different from the sleeping world around you? While they are saying peace and security, does your life also preach there is peace and security even though you've been brought into the light and you know the truth? Do you live around your neighbors who are in the dark and who are blind 
and you have been given the I salve of the gospel. You have been given the invitation by the king into the ark of Christ. Are you living just like them? Treating them like there is peace and security when there only is the terrifying expectation of judgment. We are not of darkness or of the night, so then let us not sleep, Paul says, but walk as children of the light and children of the day. Peter writes, be diligent. What does that look like for you? Be diligent to pursue holiness in the fear of God. To walk as children of light. You can write down Ephesians chapter 5. is all this list of stuff. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness, which is idolatry. And if these things are causing the wrath of God to come upon the sons of disobedience, then flee from them. Let this word preach to you the seriousness of all sin. If the day of the Lord is coming against the pride of men, then humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And for the lost around you, bid people into the ark of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We are ambassadors of Christ, God himself pleading through us to be reconciled to God. If you have yet to place your trust in Christ, I'm asking you to do a serious, if you doubt that you have, to do a serious inventory of your own heart, to invite God to search your heart and your life, to say, have I truly turned from my sin and placed my trust in Christ? There is an, there's accounts of the, those who thought they were part of the people of God, longing for the day of the Lord in Amos chapter 5. And the prophet writes to them, the day of the Lord? You do not want the day of the Lord. It is all terror and darkness. It is like a man running from a lion and being caught by a bear. It's like fleeing into your house and setting your hand on a wall and being bit by a viper. If you are not in Christ, you will not escape. And so his command to us is be diligent to find yourself at peace with him. He has made a way. He is gracious and merciful. He did not have to make a way, but he made one. And so enter into the ark of Christ Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap over to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. And lastly, so this is a response for us individually, a response for us evangelistically, and a response for us towards each other. Paul ends this passage, therefore, what would you expect him to say? Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Following Jesus is a team sport. You cannot prepare yourself or walk in holiness before God apart from other believers. He says, in light of all these things, encourage one another. Build one another up. When you walk into a church gathering, don't just consider how God can speak to you. Be on the lookout. Who can I encourage this morning? Who can I build up? 
this Hebrews 9 passage that we always refer to, the one that says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but what? Encouraging one another. There's a reason why we gather, but listen how that verse ends. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the context. Salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. But the salvation of the righteous, of those who have placed their trust in Christ, will simultaneously be the judgment of the wicked. And so let us live awake and let us live soberly. Let us live watchfully in prayer. Let us live evangelistically, praying for opportunities and walking through them with boldness. And let us not live with the self-orientation that neglects our brother and sister in Christ. Let's be done with the days where we sometimes show up to discipleship group and sometimes don't based on whether or not we feel like it or where you have to pencil in coming to a Sunday gathering instead of it just being the fabric of your life. I am going to have as part of my life, life with Christ and life with the people of God. All the more as I see the day drawing near, I am going to make my life about following Jesus and encouraging other believers and building them up so that we can pursue holiness in the fear of God together, together. Let's pray. Lord, no one likes thinking about the day of the Lord. You say in your word, you take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Your patience, this is not slowness about your promise. It's mercy. It is mercy that this day has not happened yet so that those within the sound of my voice, whether in this room or online, can hear this word and flee to Christ for mercy. Flee to Christ for refuge so that those who have wandered away from you or who have been living asleep might wake up and live self-controlled and sober-minded, prayerful, eagerly awaiting our master's return, obeying you with all of our hearts, encouraging one another and building one another up all the more as we see the day drawing near. So I pray for every heart in this room. Lord, if there are any who have yet to place their trust in Christ, may today be the day that they turn from their sin and their selves and they believe the promise that if they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. Thank you for this promise, Father, that you have not destined us for this wrath, but for sanctification, for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ so that whether we are awake here on the earth or asleep with you, we are with you. Lord, help us to live our lives with you. Obeying you, being diligent to be found in you without spot or blemish and at peace. In Jesus' name, amen.